Matthew chapter 5, we have been for the last um, several weeks now in a series on the Beatitudes of Christ, which are the very first teachings that he gives in his most famous sermon uh, that he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, in this, what he is trying to get his disciples to understand is where true happiness comes from. Because in their culture, as well as oftentimes in our culture, um, happiness just so seems to evade us. No matter how much we want it and how much we desire for it, um, it just seems like we don't get it, or at least we don't get a happiness that is lasting. Uh, we may be happy for a little bit, uh, but when something, maybe we buy something new and we're excited and we're happy, but when the newness wears off, we're no longer happy because we put our happiness in something that gets older. Um, sometimes we look for happiness in relationships, and then when the relationship goes bad, uh, we're no longer happy. Sometimes we, we just look for happiness in all these different places, and, and Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand where true happiness comes from because I believe that Jesus desires that his followers should be happy. As a matter of fact, I believe Christians ought to be the happiest people on the face of the planet. And I'm, I, wanna, I want you to know, sometimes it's kind of difficult as a pastor, because sometimes I come in on a Sunday morning to preach, and there's less excitement in here than what I saw on Friday night at a football game. And, and what I'm trying to get us to understand is, is we need to look for joy and happiness where it, can all, where it can truly be found, and that is in Jesus, and then he tries to teach us how we can truly be happy, because um, I was really happy Friday night until after the football game, and then I was no longer happy based off that because we didn't win the ball game. And you want to win, and you lose, and then you're not so happy. And anybody that's competitive is that way. But Jesus is trying to get us to understand where true happiness comes from, a happiness that is not based off our circumstance, a happiness that doesn't need everything to go our way in order to have joy in our lives. And that's what he's teaching in the Beatitudes. And a matter of fact, that's what the word blessed literally means. It means happy. But it is a happiness that goes beyond circumstances. As a matter of fact, if you remember back to the first sermon on this, the only time that word was really used was to describe the happiness of the gods. In their culture, the only way one felt they could truly be happy without having circumstances go their way, the only ones that could truly find that kind of happiness in their culture would be gods of the day. And then here Jesus is saying, no, you don't have to be a god to have this kind of happiness. You don't have to be a god that, that says, you know, I don't have to have everything go my way to be happy. Here's how you can be happy in spite of your circumstances. And so far we've looked at some of them and, and upside-down principles. They do not match up with what the culture of that day would say. They definitely don't match up with the culture of our day would say. Uh, but we have saw already how to be poor in spirit, to understand that spiritually you are nothing, you have nothing, you can do nothing, and you are in need of all things spiritually. That's one way that you can be truly happy. Uh, to mourn over sin, uh, to mourn over loss, to mourn over the sin of others because you're going to be comforted by Christ, to, to be meek. That's the idea that you don't have to be you don't have to try to conquer the world. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to know everything. Uh, you don't have to feel like you're 
uh, having to do everything to conquer the world because the world has already been given to you. You and I, as, as followers of Christ, our inheritance is the world. And so we don't have to try to conquer the world because it's already ours, okay? And then today, we're going to look at the fourth characteristic, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. So if you have your Bibles, let's stand together, and we'll read the first six verses of Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed, or happy, are the poor in spirit, for, or because, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word, and now as we examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase this morning, and that the words of the song that we just sang would be true. Father, that your spirit would be welcome here, and that we would allow you to work on our hearts and our lives, that we would allow you to speak to us today. Uh, Father, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged. Father, that you would comfort us where we need to be comforted. And Father, also that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. Father, that your spirit would move and that we would respond in obedience is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, to really look at all of these Beatitudes, the way we've been looking at it is we've been looking at the characteristic that Jesus says is blessed or happy. Happy is the person who has this characteristic. And then we've been looking at the reason. There's always a reason. Jesus always gives a reason why the person that has this characteristic is truly happy. And then in between those, we've been looking at some biblical examples of that. And we're going to follow that same outline today. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is the characteristic that Jesus says is blessed. The blessed characteristic. Here, Jesus says true happiness belongs to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, to understand what that means, we have to understand two very specific things. Number one, you and I have to understand what it means to hunger and thirst in this sense, okay? We have to understand what it, what it means to hunger and to thirst. Now, Scripture uses hunger and thirst to show an urgent desire for something. Okay, one of the ways, like, um, uh, you can quote the Psalm of David, who says, As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you. It's the idea of, of this immense thirst and this need, this urgent need for feeling. And so thirst and hunger both are used to, to illustrate or to show an urgent desire for something. And now listen, hunger and thirst are a little bit different. I mean, we, we, we hunger for food, we thirst for water, they're a little bit different, but they both are the language of eager desire. To hunger, truly hunger, and to truly be thirsty shows eager desire. You get to the point where you get hungry, you need food. You have a desire to eat. You get thirsty, you have an eager desire to get a drink particularly in Oklahoma heat in the middle of the summer when the humidity is 100%. You get thirsty, you need water, okay, or you need something to drink. So anyone who's ever felt either of those, either of those feelings know the sharp pangs that come with hunger and thirst. You just get to where you, you need it. You have an urgent desire for something to drink and something to eat. Well, if you combine those two, 
into one particular craving, which is what Jesus does here, because he says they hunger and thirst, both. So they're both hungry and they're both thirsty. There's two urgent needs into one thought. He brings them together. Then what he's trying to get them to understand is that all the appetites, all the desires, all the cravings of that man or that woman or that child go towards what he is hungering and thirsting for. So to be hungering and thirsting for something means that everything you have is going towards that thing that you want or that you need, okay? And that's what, above all else, above all else, okay? I mean, think about it. When, when you get truly hungry and truly thirsty, above all else, that's what's on your mind. I'm not talking about when you're out working and you realize, oh, I'm a little bit hungry. I could eat an apple right now. I'm talking about when you're out and you haven't eaten all day and all of a sudden that hunger sets in and you're sitting there going, if I don't eat, I can't function. If I don't eat, I can't move forward. Or you get so thirsty that if I don't get something to drink, I'm going to pass out. I have to have, that's what he's talking about. It's an urgent desire for something. And he puts them together to create this one thing. But there's something more about the idea of hungering and thirsting in this context that we need to see that often gets overlooked. And it gets overlooked because you have to have an understanding of the language that it's written in to get what I'm about to say. What Jesus is trying to say is not only is everything about this person all their appetites, all of their urges, all of their passions, everything they want going towards this one specific thing. He's also telling them that to hunger and to thirst in this manner is to hunger and thirst for the whole of something, not just part of something. Okay, now let me explain that to you a little bit. In the Greek language, the verbs for hunger and thirst would usually be written in what's called the genitive case. Now, what that means, to give you a little bit of a Greek grammar lesson, generally that would mean that someone's a little bit hungry or a little bit thirsty. We would use it to describe someone who has been working and it's lunchtime. They're hungry. They're hungry. But they're not so hungry that they need everything. They're just hungry because they need something. Or someone who's thirsty. They've been out in the heat. They need a bottle of Gatorade. They need something to quench their thirst. They take a couple drinks, and then they're fine. They can go right back out, okay? Generally, that's the way the Greek would read in these two verbs, to hunger and thirst. You just need something to eat and something to drink. But when Jesus states this, the way it's stated and the way it's written is not in the Greek genitive case. It's actually an accusative case, and what that means is it is to hunger and thirst for the whole of something, it, it's the idea that you need all of what's in front of you, not just some of it. Um, when we were in high school, I'll give you an example of that. When I was in high school, we um, played a football game in uh, Oklahoma City. At, uh, we played at Bishop McGinnis High School. And when we finished the game, it was late, and, and we were all hungry because you don't really get to eat a whole lot before the game. And as was usual, if we were playing in Oklahoma City, there was one restaurant that you could guarantee that our coach was going to take us at the end of a ball game, and our uh, quarterback club paid for it. So ki all the kids got to eat. You didn't have to pay for it on your own. And it was Golden Corral. Okay. You could guarantee he was going to take you to Golden Corral. And the reason why he'd take you there is because there's plenty of food for everyone. You don't, you got picky eaters, non-picky eaters or something there for everything. And we had this guy named Bam Bam. Now that's what we called him. And if you ever saw Bam Bam, you would understand exactly why we called him. If you've ever seen the, uh, the, the, the uh, cartoon, the Flintstones, Bam Bam, that's what he looked like. 
okay? He was six foot six and 330 pounds, and he was a big, big fella, and he could eat, eat, eat. I mean, he, he just liked to eat. We were in there one night after playing at Bishop McGinnis, and it was a hard-fought football game and long. It was hot, uh, kind of like what we went through this last Friday, a hot game. We go in there, and he's, he's hungry, and we pull up, and they have this, this pit ham that they were cutting into slices, and they're giving you as a slice. And he's in front of me, and he pulls up, and they said, how much do you want? And he went, the whole thing. And they went, you can't, you can only, and he said, whole thing. <laughs> and he went, and he didn't leave until they porked that thing on a fork and placed it on his plate. And he goes and sits down, and he's eating the whole ham, and he finished it, by the way. That's what, he, he was so hungry that he didn't just want some ham. He wanted all of the ham. And that's the way this is written here. And that's very important for us to understand. Jesus is not talking about someone who's just wanting a little bit of something. He's talking about someone who's so hungry and so thirsty, they have to have all of it. I, someone asked me, do you want a piece of cake? No, I don't want a piece of cake. I want the whole cake. When I was drinking Dr. Pepper, you want a glass of Dr. Pepper? No, I want the bottle of Dr. Pepper. You see what I'm saying? That's what he's talking about. It's not to desire some of it. It's to desire all of it. And that's very important because some people only want part of what Jesus says we ought to be hungering and thirsting for. They don't want the whole thing. They just want part of it. And we're going to see a little bit more of that as we go through. But that is vital for us to understand. Jesus is saying that blessed, happy are those who everything about them, all their urges, all their desires, all their passions are going into the need for this one particular thing, and they don't want part of whatever that is. They want all of whatever that is. That's what it means to hunger and thirst in the way Jesus is talking about. The second thing you have to understand when it talks about blessed are those who, who are hungering and thirst for righteousness is you have to actually understand what they're supposed to be hungering and thirsting for, and that is righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, again, this is where it's important to remember. Not some righteousness, all righteousness. I don't want some righteousness. I want all of it. And, and where we see that is when we begin to understand a little bit about what the Bible says about righteousness. In Scripture, there are really two ways the Bible describes the characteristic of righteousness. There are two very specific, very basic, but both are, are very important and both are accurate. You see, the Greek word for righteousness is, is the word diokasune, and it literally means he, uh, or sorry, it means the state of him who is as he ought to be in the eyes of God. It is someone who has integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, acting, and feeling. Now, some of you are going, um, that's not me. That's not any of us, by the way. And that's what the Bible very clearly says. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there is none righteous, no, not one. Matter of fact, the, uh, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament said it like this, that our good deeds, our, quote, righteous deeds, are like filthy rags to God. You and I cannot be righteous in that case. We, we cannot be righteous in the fact of, being as we ought to be in the sight of God. 
We can't be perfect in our integrity, in our purity of life. We can't be perfect in our rightness or in our virtue or in our correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. There's no way for us to do that. But that's yet that's what the Bible describes as righteousness. And, and to do that, there's two ways that the Scripture says that we do that. Number one, it means to be right in the sight of God. Righteous is to be right in the sight of God, being as he ought to be in the eyes of God. To be right in the eyes of God or be right with God. Now, again, that's something you and I can't achieve on our own. There's no righteousness in us in and of ourselves to be right with God. You and I cannot do good to be righteous in the sight of God because you and I are filthy vessels of sin. See, we are filthy vessels of sin, and therefore everything we do is tainted with sin, and so we can't be right with God on our own. The only way we could be right with God is to have someone else's righteousness applied to me. And that's what the Bible calls imputed righteousness. It's a theological term that simply means God takes the righteousness of Christ because he was always right in the eyes of God. He was always right in right standing with God. He was perfect in his way of thinking, in his virtue, in his purity of life, the way he acted, the way he felt. He was in every way just like you and I, but the Bible says without sin. He had no sin in his life whatsoever. And so he was perfectly righteous. And God takes the righteousness of Christ because of his sacrifice on the cross and applies it to you and I. And that's what's called imputed righteousness. And, and here's how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Listen to what he says. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That is, the Christ is the Son of God, came, lived, died, and rose again for our sin. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And most of us know that verse, but listen to verse 17. For in it, the gospel, in it the righteousness of God is revealed by faith. And he goes on in Philippians chapter 1 and tells us that it is by our faith that God gives us the righteousness of Christ. We become the righteousness of God in Christ, not by our own merits, not because of what we did, but because of what Jesus did. It's called imputed righteousness. God takes the righteousness of Christ and our salvation, he applies that to our account. Okay? So, Jesus is talking about that type of righteousness, to be right with God. But the other way the Scripture talks about righteousness is not just being right with God. To be righteous also means to do right by God. It means to live righteously or righteous living. It is living with correctness of thinking, correctness of acting, correctness of feeling. It is living with virtue. It is living with purity of life. It is living righteously in a manner that lines up with God's word and what God's word says we are to live righteously. That's called in scripture what we call in theology pursued righteousness. We're to pursue living as we ought to live. What does God tell what does God through the Holy Spirit through the uh, scripture tell us about our lives? He tells us that the word to live righteous, perfect, pure and holy lives. Now, you and I can't achieve that on our own, but we can pursue it on our own. See what I'm saying? And so to, to live righteously or to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you understand righteousness is both being right with God, which you can't do on your own, but is, comes from Jesus, and doing right by God, 
which we can't be perfect at, but we can at least pursue. So which is it that Jesus is talking about if they're both talked about in Scripture? Well, that's where it comes back to remembering what, the way Jesus said hunger and thirst. Remember, he didn't say hunger and thirst for some righteousness. He said hunger and thirst for all of it, so it's both. You and I ought to hunger and thirst to be right with God. We can't do it by ourselves, but we can hunger and thirst to be right with God because of Christ. You and I can't live righteously on our own and, and do that all by ourselves, but we can pursue it. We can pursue righteousness. We can pursue living right. We can pursue holiness. There's a great book out by a man by the name of Jerry Bridges. It's a great book if you like to read. It's called The Pursuit of Holiness. You see, and that's something that we, we've lost in our culture. We don't like to preach on righteousness and holiness. And, and what we like to do a lot of times in the church and in the world is, is we have this line up here, and this line indicates that if you, if you step over this line, you'll be sinful. And instead of us turning away from sin, we like to get as close to the line and see how close we can get without stepping over. But the opposite is what we ought to be doing. Instead of trying to see how close we can get without stepping over, our back ought to be to that line, and we ought to be pursuing righteousness, God. And that's what Jesus says we ought to be doing. Blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, all of it. Again, you can't do it on your own. You can't be right with God on your own, but you can hunger to be right with God. You can thirst to do right by God, to live righteously. And if you do those two things, Jesus said, you'll be happy. Now, the second thing I want us to see this morning real quick are the examples. You say, I can't do that. There are a lot of biblical examples, and I'm, I'm just going to give you a few of them, and you can look them up more on your own. There are a lot of biblical examples of men and women who both desired to be right with God and do right by God. Even though they couldn't do it by themselves, they pursued it with everything they had. They hungered and they thirsted to be righteous people. One of them was Noah. Noah lived righteously in the face of the most evil time the world has ever seen. So evil, in fact, that God decided he had made a mistake and was going to do away with mankind. Yet he decides because of Noah, and according to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, Noah walked with God. And then according to chapter 7, verse 1, because he walked with God, Noah was a righteous man. And so Noah is an example of walking righteously or hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Abraham showed righteousness trying to be right with God and do right by God when God asked him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. This, you, you mean to tell me you want me to sacrifice the son that you promised me you were going to give me, the son that you said you were going to use to bless the whole world through? You want me to take that son and you want me to sacrifice him? And instead of saying, no way, I'm not doing that, what he do? He prepared. He took Isaac with him. And by the way, it didn't take him just a day to get where he was going. Scripture says it was three days. Three days he's thinking about this, and he never stopped. And once in three days, and they go up the mountain, they leave their servants, they go up. Isaac says, where's the sacrifice? Abraham said, God will provide. He takes him up and builds this altar. Can you imagine having to bind your son and stick him up on an altar? And I believe with everything in me that Abraham did everything right. I believe that God supernaturally stopped Abraham's hand. I believe that Abraham had him on the altar. I believe Abraham was in the motion of sacrificing his son when God stopped him. 
No, Abraham followed God. He did what God told him to do. He was a righteous man. Here's another one. David. Some say, David wasn't righteous. David sinned with Bathsheba and then had Uriah killed to try to cover up. He did. But I, I love this verse in, in 1 Kings chapter 15. Listen, listen to what he says. It, it calls out, other than the events of Uriah the Hittite. It specifically says it. Other than the events of Uriah the Hittite, David done what was right in the sight of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life. See, David was a great sinner, but David was also a righteous man. The, the point that I'm trying to get you to understand this morning is it's possible, it's possible to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, sometimes we read the Beatitudes and we go, okay, poor in spirit, I understand that. Uh, meek, I understand that. Mourn, yeah, I get that. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, I can't be righteous. Can't do it on my own. I can't live righteously on my own. I, there's no way. I've tried and I mess up all the time. There's no way I can do this. So how, and, they, we, and then we just kind of skip it and then we go to the next one. What I want you to understand this morning, Jesus wouldn't have told us something that's impossible. And there are plenty of biblical examples of men and women who were righteous people who hungered and thirsted to be right with God and to do right by God. And Jesus says anyone who does those things will be happy. Now, let me give you the last thing this morning. Why? Why would someone who hungers and thirsts to be right with God and to do right by God not just to be somewhat righteous, but to be all the way righteous. Why would someone be happy because of that? Well, look at what he says. Look at verse 6 again. He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You see, one of the reasons, and I talked about this briefly at the beginning of the message, but one of the reasons why we're always lacking happiness is because we're looking for happiness in the wrong things. And they never fill us up. We look for happiness in relationships until relationships let us down. We look for happiness in money until we get money and realize that it's not making me happy, so I have to have more money. And then we get more money, and then we realize that didn't make me happy either, and so i got to get more money. And then we realize that didn't make me happy either, and so we look for, or maybe it's a possession. I, I need that boat. If I get that boat, I'll be really, really, really happy until you get that boat and it sits under your garage because you never have time to take it out. Or you need that camper, or you need those new golf clubs, because, you know, if I, if I get those new golf clubs, I'm going to hit it longer, I'm going to hit it straighter, and I'm going to beat everybody I play, and I'm going to get those, and you buy them, and you're happy, and you go out, and you break half of them, because you still can't play good golf. You, you see what I'm saying? We're always looking for something to fill us with happiness that can't fill us. And Jesus says, if you are truly hungry and thirsty for righteousness, I'll fill you. How does he do that? Well, the first aspect of righteousness, to be right with God, he does through Jesus. He fills you with Jesus. So he fills you. And the way he does it with the second aspect of righteousness, to do righteousness, to do right by God, to live righteously in a world that we live in, he fills us with the Holy Spirit that enables us to live differently than the world. You see, we've got to get this understanding that it is possible to live the Christian life in an evil world. 
It is possible to pursue righteousness when the world around you rejects righteousness with everything they have in them. Flip over real quick, and I'm going to close with this. Flip over real quick. It's not in my notes. I'm kind of changing here at the end. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Flip over real quick. If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Actually, go back just a little bit in chapter 6, verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now, you and I need to remember before we go any further, the temple of God is not this building we're standing in. That's not what he's talking about. The temple of God, after Christ died, is now the people of God. You and I are the temple. We are on holy ground because we are here and Christ is with us. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. I should have just read the rest of that before I said it. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, listen, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now listen to this. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And he's quoting an Old Testament passage right there in chapter, in verse 16. But listen to chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, remember when Brandon Gibson was here, and he'd preach every now and then, and he'd always say, when you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself the question, what's it there for? This is one of them. Therefore, because of these promises that he just gave us, look at what he says. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the reverence of God. You and I can live separate lives. And when we pursue righteousness, when we hunger and thirst to be right with God, he gives us Jesus. And to live right by God, he gives us the Holy Spirit to live within us. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All things that you and I could never be on our own, all righteous. Love is righteous. Joy, peace, patience, righteousness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All righteous principles all come from the fruit of the Spirit of God. If you and I want to be filled, we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because then we will be filled.